0: Look at this.
1: All those years in the big city, we finally got out. We're living a dream. Maybe it is a dream.
0: Pink light, or actually, I don't even
1: know what color it was. It wasn't like any color I'd ever seen before.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the B Movie Podcast. I'm your, one of your hosts, Adam Kautzer, and with me today is your other host, Scott Phillips. And we're here today to, uh, doing another one-off, um, talking about Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space. And um, we're recording this. Uh, I always like to I always like to give context so that when people start uh, listening to these in the past they'll kind of understand where we're coming from we're actually uh recording this march 15th of 2020 and it's kind of ironic this has been on the books for a couple of weeks hasn't it
1: scott yeah absolutely this is a weird happenstance
0: yes a very weird happenstance that we're talking about color out of space as uh the coronavirus is giving us all this proactive social distancing so uh, we're going to get into it in a bit, but before we do, we always like to do the um, upfront business. Uh, Scott, can you tell everybody where they can uh, find you on the social medias and such?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can be found on Twitter at mscott underscore Phillips, uh, where I put links to you know my work, other critics' work, film festivals, things of that nature. Uh, and then uh, I do video reviews. Uh, for WRBL.com, which is a CBS affiliate here in Georgia. Uh, and then most of my deeper dive written work appears with you at the movie album. Absolutely.
0: And just so that you guys know, he does have a video review of Colorado Space because it is um, it is available on home video and on demand. Uh, right now, but uh, I did want to do that. And I will actually uh, post the, I will put the link in the show notes for that. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Um, you can find my work and uh, Scott's work, as he was saying on the movie aisle, or I'm sorry, uh, the movie aisle, uh, movie Uh Social media handles are all the same. So Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are all, One word, the movie aisle. So Facebook, it would be facebook.com forward slash the movie aisle. Um, Instagram would be at the movie aisle and the uh, Twitters would be at uh, the movie aisle. And the same thing goes for the B-Movie podcast, except for Facebook. Um, It's all the B-Movie pod, um, all one word, the B-Movie pod. And you can get all the updates on the podcast there on that social media and then Facebook and um or sorry not Facebook but uh the movie aisle stuff you can uh, like Scott said, is it's where everything is. All of our reviews, um, pointing to other critics. What what's we promote? What Scott does on the video end of things because it's really cool and awesome that he's getting a chance to actually, you know, do the video reviews. And if you have not checked them out, I totally, totally suggest that you do because uh, if you do like Scott's, uh, if you do like Scott's, you know, podcasting um, thoughts and and such, it the 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 video content is more about the more uh, I guess you would say commercial, <laughs> uh, the more blockbuster uh, blockbuster titles that we don't cover on the B movie aisle. So if you want his opinions on things like Knives Out or even Parasite, go ahead and go to the video reviews. It's it's a pretty great uh, collection that he's collated or he's curated so far in the blast. Uh, I guess it's almost. Six months now, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's began in uh, September of last year.
0: Yeah, wow. It's just time flies. It Uh,
1: does. (laughs) Many movies uh, under the bridge, so to speak. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. And so today we are talking about Richard Stanley's return to cinema after 20 years, Color Out of Space. Um, I'm going to hand this over to Scott for a little bit uh, because he actually got to see... The North American premiere of this, and I'm gonna just let him talk a little bit about that experience of seeing the film and the Q and A session afterwards, kind of give us a context for a little bit about Richard Stanley and this movie.
1: Yeah, it uh, yeah, it was an amazing experience uh, to to get to do that. You know, there's something about bringing together uh, big groups of genre fans. Uh, to see a genre title uh, like this. And so if, if you haven't had the film festival experience, you don't go on a regular basis or anything like that, uh, I really encourage people to do it because, you know, if you're listening to a podcast like this, uh, then you are totally the kind of person that should be going to film festivals and being a part of a, uh, of a film community, at least, you know, on an annual basis. Uh, going and supporting one of these festivals I go to you know a half a dozen at least in person throughout the year and uh, so there's no feeling quite like sitting in that theater uh, and seeing something together for the first time that hasn't already been you know mm-hmm. widespread throughout the country uh, screened by people and, uh, and and Richard Stanley's story and I mean I'm not going to go through the whole thing because he's got numerous podcasts out there mm-hmm. uh, where he was Uh, interviewed around the time of the release of this movie meaning recently uh, where he discusses it all but it's just kind of one of those examples of somebody through strange sets of circumstances just kind of winding up in the old director's jail uh, or director's ghetto Uh, he was part of uh, the island of dr. Moreau uh, the 1990s version and uh you know things went awry and and people got fired and uh and you know uh the stars weren't getting along you know you had marlon brando you had val kilmer uh, all of their method <laughs> acting weirdnesses conflicting with each other and then conflicting with the directors and and there's this like crazy story have you heard the story about uh, about Richard Stanley finally winding up an extra in the film. Yes. You have to tell it though. You have to tell it. (laughs) It's I mean, but you just can't make this kind of stuff up. It's like he gets let go from the film and the new director takes over. And so Richard Stanley decides not to leave, you know, the area where they were filming and he's just going to hang out. He's got nowhere else to go. He's just been uh, let go from his big job. And so it was almost like, you know, you could almost see him like a little Colonel Kurtz living (laughs) off in the woods somewhere. And people from the production are coming to him and basically saying, this is not going well. We need you back. You know, we need your ideas. And so literally they kind of start almost like ferrying ideas back and forth between him and people on the set he's like been terminated from this job and they've got these like little messengers going out saying, what should we do about this? What should we do about that? And he's kind of giving him their thoughts and everything. And so finally in a, in a, in it's a much more elaborate story that you really ought to have to hear him uh, tell. But the idea is it's almost like a look, man, you got to come see this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just not going to believe how badly this is going. And so there is a scene with uh, a big group of extras in it. I don't remember the film that well, although I have seen it. And so in essence, the, the little emissaries who have been coming from the production to him to discuss things, just kind of sneak him on the set and make him part of some kind of crowd scene with a bunch of extras and everything so that he can just kind of see how off the rails this production is going. And so, uh, you know, it's it's basically a film that, that destroyed uh, a bunch of people's careers uh, or at least made them super gun shy from making movies. I mean, it was kind of the beginning of the downfall of Val Kilmer. Uh, You know, uh, Marlon Brando never really did all that much after that, Uh, Richard Stanley. So it's just like this one production that just went completely awry, uh, taking down a bunch of careers. And so uh, it has taken him kind of this long. Uh, to, I think, work up the nerve, work up the interest. I mean, he just got such a bad taste in his mouth from, from making films that I don't know that it was 20 years' worth of people being unwilling to work with him as much as it was 20 years' worth of. I don't know that he cared. And so, uh, and so now uh, he's kind of gotten everything lined back up and, and has made color out of space, and it's really a, a, a great return for him.
0: No, absolutely. Um, so, guys, if you don't know the story of Richard Stanley, um, there's actually a great documentary that's on Amazon Prime for free. Um, it would be a great primer for you guys to to get some context for Color Out of Space. It's called Lost Souls. Um, and it basically, it recounts that uh, the story that Scott had um, told and so much more about the production and just... Like it, 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 it brings a couple of things really clear: just how Bugnuts, both Brando, and Kilmer were, and how they should have never have worked together. Um, and uh, just like just how uncontained a set can be if like if left unchecked by certain by producers and uh, studio people it's it's a really it's, it's fascinating documentary and scott like the, that's one of the many things i mean there's it's a very interesting um it's a very interesting film uh, uh documentary and it really does kind of bring to light which i find like what makes the the output of color out of space. What 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 it does is it makes me angry because for the last twenty years we could have had Richard Stanley films, but because of that production, it just got like you said, got so fed up with with like you know making films. It was such a a shattering thing to his soul that he just stopped making them, and uh, that's just crazy considering how he jumped into this film. And I mean like as you could probably tell like like I'm going to say it like Color Out of Space is an amazing film. It's it's not for everybody, but I don't think that every movie should be for everybody. But for the people that it is, oh wow. And during these times if you want like you know everybody's watching everybody's watching Contagion and Outbreak and all these like pandemic or these or these epidemic films, this is a film that I feel like hits a nerve in a way that's very jarring. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute, but yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, did you ever see Richard Stanley's hardware?
1: Uh, it's been a long time. It's, it's, it's nothing that I could, could comment on very well.
0: Ah, okay. Okay. Um, I just recently rewatched it uh from the I think it's Severin that brought out uh brought out the right. yeah, the Blu-ray um recent remaster or 4K remaster of it. Um th- an amazing film. Like I'm genuinely surprised that more people have not found this film because it's that kind of sci fi that um I love. It's like that post apocalyptic cyberpunk that some people can get really right, but most people get very wrong. He gets it very, very right. Um, and, yeah, like, like you see that, you watch that movie, and then you see this, and you just go, wow, between the time frames here, it's just, it's wild. Um, I guess that we should talk a little bit about, like, Color Out of Space and what's it about. It's based off of an H.P. Lovecraft um, a short story or novella. Um, they just took the barest possible like plot points of it. Um, uh, IMDb says uh, a secluded farm struck by a strange meteorite has an apocalyptic consequence for family living there and possibly the world. Um, basically, what ends up happening is like in the book, it's about the reason why it's called Color Out of Space is because, um. A meteorite lands that has um, alien beings in it, and it begins to transmorph. And the the family begins to go crazy because they see a color that is out of the spectrum of what we what we've known. It's a co- it's a brand new color that you've never seen before. And it the human mind, like, and this is an H.P. Lovecraft special, uh, like describing things that like could never be translated on screen. Um it, it causes the family to go insane. Um rather than doing that, Stanley has adapted it as a I guess it was Scott, would you call it a virus film, like an outbreak film? Yeah,
1: it it you know, it it plays to me almost like radiation exposure. Yes. Like, like radiation sickness or mm-hmm. something, that this meteorite has landed on their property and it's mutating things uh, around them and then ultimately starts mutating them. And so to me, yeah, I tried to decide, you know, was it uh, akin to like a virus kind of thing, but it only in the sense that they're catching something, so to speak, from this meteorite, but it's not something they could pass on to other people. Yeah. It is the, the source is this meteorite. And so to me it becomes almost more like a radiation sickness, like they're, they're being altered or mutated by this uh, object from outer space. Uh, and, and, you know, and I, and I even pointed out in my review that, that I kind of like that touch. Uh, a lot of times in in Lovecraftian kind of horror, there is zero explanation. Yes, it's just that somebody comes across something other. And that something other starts to change them, drive them mad, what have you. And there's literally no explanation. And that's fine. But I I think in a way this movie works better by just giving us at least that little token explanation of, you know, little shooting star flying through the sky, lands in their backyard. And their reaction is, hmm, you know, just like the curiosity that you would find it to be if it happened to you and then strange things begin to happen. No, absolutely and um
0: it's it's very interesting how this this film even though it feels very large is a very intimate intimate story about this family and um i think that some of the the it's some of the best like horror that i've seen in a long time because it it doesn't it takes, it, it takes certain things that I think that are lacking within horror films sometimes, and which it is, is the the human connection that you have to the family um, or to the characters. Because the, for the first, what would you say, about the 20, first 20 minutes, it's kind of more of like a, like this weird eccentric family drama starring Nicolas Cage, right? <laughs> right. Okay. And I think that, what grounds it is Nicolas Cage. Like, like we, we, like, I think that what people take, like are taking the wrong things away from color out of space as they are from Mandy, which is, is that, that Nicolas Cage, when he's purposeful and he's given the right direction is like an alarmingly good to great actor because he can, modulate his performance to begin one place and go so arch and so high and so adam west but it feel like art and that's exactly what happens here is that he starts with this whole like weird kooky dad who's
1: like yeah yeah exactly i mean the way it begins is dad's just kind of a dork yeah that's exactly it it's like it's like dad's just kind of you know an oddball And and he doesn't overdo it. And, you know, his kids just kind of roll their eyes like, oh, Jesus, just dad being his usual weird self. And so it works. It's almost like as he has entered middle age, this aspect of his acting personality works better. Exactly, because you get like that generation gap with the the child characters Mm -hmm. uh, and everything who are, you know, I mean, teenagers are not like little kids. And uh, and so uh, that is is kind of an interesting uh, way to make use of it. And then I always find, you know, the, the idea of people slowly going mad and stuff like that uh, can be really bad in the acting side of things. Yeah. And so somehow it fits his kind of method acting ticks.
0: Oh, definitely. So when
1: he has these like weird little outbursts or, you know, things that he does with his speech emphasizing certain things or whatever in this movie, it works really well because reality is bending along with his performance. And so they track well together. It's not like, you know, from word one, he's playing the whacked out Nicholas cage character. He's very, you know, buttoned down and, and kind of restrained at the beginning of this movie. And so it, it tracks the progression of the, the illness, if that's what you want to call it.
0: You're absolutely right. Um, and like, and it's also it helps that like the supporting cast around him is so damn good like Jolie yeah, Richardson, they are. Yeah. um the the son and daughter Brendan Meyer playing uh, the son uh Benny um Madeline Arthur playing Lavinia who is kind of the she's the i i guess she's like the she Like, she eventually ends up becoming the lead. She's, like, almost like... Like, I compared it to, like, when me and uh, my now wife, Christina, were talking about it. Um, She's kind of like the Ripley character. The character that you first... Yeah, you're right. you, You think that she's not anything and she's not going to be um a strong character, she's just gonna be the the kooky daughter who gets really in trouble and does the stupid thing to let this thing go. Right. But she ends up mustering this kind of like like between her and Cage, it's like this really weird dance of like like father daughter minutia. But mm-hmm. she ends up coming out like like when you see like like i i expect big things from her because when you can out when you can outdo nicolas cage when he's at his most arch like that's saying something about an actor like when i'm watching yeah. you going damn like that's like i'm following her more than i'm following cage like that says something and like and then yeah, Joel- she
1: can hold she can hold her own with oh him.
0: yeah Oh, yeah. And then Jolie Richardson, like the stuff that they ask her to do and how much she commits to it is like, 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 like MVP style stuff. Because some of the stuff that they have her do at the the third half, which I'm not going to actually the the third act, I'm not going to talk about too much. Yeah. But it's some amazing stuff. That's some
1: gruesome, grueling stuff.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, and, and emote, like she emotes emotionally in a way that makes it painful. Like, it's right. not it. like what I love about this movie is somebody told me they're like, like before I watched it, they're like, yeah, it's kind of like the thing in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm
1: like, oh, the the practical effects are very reminiscent uh, of that film. You know, the idea of when the the dog was morphing into something else. And so that aspect of the film uh, is is very similar because, you know, it's like we were saying it's 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 like it's mutating the things around you. And, uh, and so, uh, and that to some extent applies to the people, uh, Mm -hmm. as well, depending on who came into contact with what, and we won't give all of that away. Uh, but, uh, but it does, you know, begin to mutate the characters and whether it's just their sanity Mm -hmm. or whether it's mutating them physically, uh, it has its effects. And, and that was what kind of reminded me of the whole like radiation sickness uh, kind of idea because of the physical symptoms that will, will show up and how it alters your, you know, body chemistry and your appearance and things like that. And so those kind of things go on in the the film as well.
0: No, absolutely. Um, I, I just I, I'm I'm always flabbergasted when I see a I see a horror film that can pull off some of the stuff that they do and reference films, but not in the same way that most people reference, like, say, uh, Carpenter films. And it doesn't feel like a reference. It more feels like it's a natural, like, evolution Mm -hmm. of things. Because Mm -hmm. the thing, whether people want, like, whether people realize it or not, the thing is basically John Carpenter's H.P. Lovecraft film. Like, that's that's exactly what it is. Because and i think that what people get like when people get hp lovecraft right it's about human nature it's never about uh like the effects and stuff like that and cthulhu yeah. it's always about because lovecraft i mean like like we won't even get into how like complicated lovecraft's legacy is uh, we we know this i i really don't I'm not about that, but what I am about is the work itself. And the work itself is always about human nature. It was always about the, not the devil's, like, even though he was talking about like the, the vast beyond of darkness that we could like, it's the Nietzsche quote. Um, when you stare at the abyss, the abyss stares back at you. It's kind of like that kind of nihilism, but it's on a human scale and it's like, um, Like I love that when people get that right in horror because that's the kind of horror that kind of seeps into me, into my soul and disturbs me. It's kind of like this stuff where it's like you get a little bit of like you you get a lot of humanness in it, but you also get that visually stunning stuff.
1: Well, you know, for, for all of the mythology and, and kind of, you know, in, in a way like creatures that tend to populate uh, Lovecraft's fiction, the, the, the main thing to me with him was the idea of your grasp on your own sanity. Yes. And, and, and he had a great deal of mental illness in his family. And so I think a lot of it is just the paranoia of, you know, maybe if you do something strange or say something odd or whatever, this idea of, oh, my God, am I losing my shit? Am I going crazy like the other people in my family? And so his work is really drenched in the idea of madness, going mad, losing your faculties, and then the paranoia that comes with that. And so that's the thing that I always really think about with the thing is this this paranoia. And instead of it being insanity or sanity itself, they've given it an embodiment with this creature. Yes. And so it's kind of like you're looking at each other like, are you the creature? Or you? You could be the creature. And so it's like you can't trust anybody. You can't be certain of your surroundings. It's really just kind of like a madness inducing kind of paranoia. And so to that extent, it's, it's very much a, a Lovecraft kind of, of concept uh, that is behind the thing.
0: You're absolutely right. Um, uh, Another actor that we should kind of mention, which is kind of like when I saw when I saw the credit, because I didn't realize that he was in the film. But when I saw the credit, Tommy Chong.
1: Like, (laughs) like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and and he's kind of like the like the spiritual side of the film. Yes, he definitely you know, is. Like 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 mother nature and and mother earth and and you know nature and the way it's going to, you know, kind of fight back and 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 so it's funny because it has a very meta effect playing into kind of his you know, persona, <laughs> <kind of> persona, <laughs> yeah. uh, but also really, you know, kind of getting it some truth behind the film. That's the cool thing is that, you know, whether he knows it or not, he's right about a lot of it. Yes. You know, just in concept at least. Uh, but to everybody else, it just kind of sounds like a bunch of crazy, you know, hokum, And so, uh, so it's, yeah, he's, he's a very, uh, clever, uh, fun character. And it also adds a little bit of just kind of, Comedic relief to something that could otherwise become incredibly heavy.
0: No, absolutely, absolutely. And my favorite part is is that um, the whole recordings that he's doing. Like if you uh, if you know your Lovecraft, he's actually right. Like Richard Stanley um, and screenwriter Scarlett uh actually have his recordings are literally a word for word translation of some of Lovecraft's work. Not even in Color Out of Space, but just some of the crazier things that he has because a lot of I don't know if um uh, if for those who don't know Lovecraft Lovecraft loved to write things in a journal format or a diary format. A lot of his work is like that about like people writing journal entries as they do mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. um and so it allowed him to write these crazy weird pontificating um uh entries about human nature and and like you know the vastness of space and the coldness of space and things of that that uh, things like that and if you listen to the Tommy Chong stuff it definitely it's it's taken from it I just don't know where he's he's taken they they've taken it from
1: Um, yeah he's he's almost like a stand in for Lovecraft himself almost uh,
0: absolutely Absolutely, um, you know,
1: with the oddball mythologies and philosophies and uh, and and all of that. And so he's he's literally almost like uh, if he were, uh, you know, the narrator of the story stepping out onto the screen.
0: No, you're 100 percent right. Uh, you 100 percent right. And and it's also it's also like a little bit of Richard Stanley himself. Like like if you think mm-hmm. about it like yeah. if you know the personality you know the guy you've seen him in enough interviews and how he talks he's very kind of um, so like he had like like he's a, very
1: cosmic kind of dude
0: exactly like my favorite uh, my favorite story about Richard Stanley is one that he told on. Um, I think it was the trailers uh, the or the movies that made me. It's the trailers from Held um, podcast that's ran by screenwriter Josh Olson and director Joe Dante. And they bring on people. And they brought him on. And <laughs> he, he, Richard Stanley talked about how he got uh, – like how he decided to come back. And it took him 10 years to come back. But um, it was because of a short film he made. And – The short film was made because of his ties to a Ouija board and a witch that he lives with. And I'm going to just say that much because I would love for – like I'd love for you guys to go there and actually like go and listen to the podcast because – he makes it sound normal. Like at the end of the story, you're like, Oh, okay, I guess. I mean, you know, Richard Stanley's just in touch with the, the far side of whatever, because I mean, but then when you like try to tell somebody about it, uh, as I was trying to tell my wife about it, she just literally looked at me and she goes, this guy is insane. He's either smoked too much pot or he's just literally nuts. And I'm like, It's probably a little bit of both. (laughs) uh,
1: Oh, you can totally see him. I mean, like from the Q&A that I attended, you could totally see him as uh, being somebody who would like do, you know, peyote and wander the wilderness for 40 days or something. I mean, he's just, you know, he's got like this kind of uh, uh, cosmic kind of element to him.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, like, he's just such a... um, He's such a raconteur,
1: like, but in in the yeah, yeah. In a, he's, he's a total character, but the cool yeah. thing is, is he's not trying to be.
0: No, he just it's is. Just like, he's
1: just him. Yeah, and, and 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 so that's what he's. He's very genuine. That's just the person he is.
0: No, absolutely. Uh, like it, it is a fascinating. Like anytime you have a chance to like deep dive and just 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 take a chance and deep dive. Start off with the the documentary, guys. Like seriously, and you will see he is a like it's going to take a second for you to accustom to it because you think it's an act but then like you see that there's no seams there like at, like after a certain point you can always tell when somebody is like just playing a character like yep. but this is like true it's not even like he's like like i was having a conversation with somebody about about like somebody who's crazy and somebody who's eccentric he is truly eccentric mm-hmm. it, it's not that he's crazy exactly. Right. Like he has like it's there's no like the mental facilities are still there. It's just he's very eccentric. He's looking at the fringes of society, Um, like even where he lives. I think he lives in the uh, French Pyrenees Mountains,
1: which is a good sounds about right.
0: Yeah. Which <laughs> if anybody knows anything about the French Pyrenees Mountains like that, that is a really weird and strange place to live. Like he literally like lives in a like a like a like a just a deserted region with a bunch of these french pyrenees people uh, uh uh like you know uh natives uh native people and i uh, like it just it's wild like like but to have him back like you know like i just hope that it's not another twenty years until we get
1: another you know his 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 talk from the q and a uh-huh was that he is hoping to complete a Lovecraft trilogy. Oh, wow. And so he didn't reveal completely, like, you know, what the next title uh, might be. There was some discussion of how, you know, Guillermo del Toro was going to do In the Mountains of Madness. Mm -hmm. And so there was a discussion about kind of like, what rights are available out there and what might he pursue next. Uh, But he was saying that he was, you know, avidly pursuing making a second Lovecraft adaptation. And if it did as well and as was well received and everything that he would love to make a trilogy of it. And so he didn't sound like he was just going to be hanging out for years. He kind of sounded like uh, uh, a man on a mission uh, when uh, when I heard him at the Q&A. Oh, wow. Could you
0: could you imagine him doing like, I mean, so uh, H. um, I know that H.P. Lovecraft is public domain, so no rights to In the Mountains of Madness is directly tied to Guillermo del Toro. Could you imagine Richard Stanley and and Nicolas Cage teaming up for like in the mountains of madness. Like I, I think
1: the the, the one that was mentioned by name uh, was uh, um, oh, I'm trying to remember now. I can't remember now. I'm mixing it up with the title of an Agatha Christie, book, <laughs> uh, which is crazy. So anyway, I, I'm sorry. I blanked out on you there.
0: No, 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 it's okay. It's definitely okay. I mean, um there there are I mean, there's a there's quite a few of them. Um I mean, from beyond is another one that I feel like like if he was going to do things um uh like like that wouldn't be so bad. I mean, even though it was done by uh Stuart Gordon, um that one about about, like, you know, opening the port or uh,
1: Charles is... Dexter Ward. Ah, OK. The case remember. of Charles.
0: OK, which. Yeah,
1: I almost said the murder of Roger Ackroyd. <laughs> and that is a Magatha Christie book, novel. And I'm yep. like, no, wait a minute. That's not right. But yep. I know it's somebody's name. And so I looked and, yeah, it's the case of Charles Dexter Ward was one of the ones that was just mentioned. Uh, as something the 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 Dunwich horror was another one that came uh, up okay, uh, so anyway, but the bottom line is, you know, uh his hope is uh to do another Lovecraft adaptation next, and as well as he did this one, uh you know that would be be welcome. I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention the just incredible cinematography, oh gosh, uh, yes, in this movie, you know it's it's amazing. Uh, with lighting and camera work, and a little bit of CG work with like the little odd insects and plants mm. and stuff like that. Uh, but it's it's an example of just how great cinematography and use of color uh, and everything like that can kind of convey some otherworldliness uh, in a movie without just having to dive off of the CGI deep end and and just kinda go batshit crazy with it.
0: No, absolutely. And his cinematographer, Stevenis, uh, is actually a, this is his first, I think it might be his first feature, um, because he did a lot of, um, he was a DP on a lot of music videos, uh, and not just music videos for like small acts. I mean, we're talking U2, Mick Jagger, Pink, Leon Bridges, um, Ed Sheeran, Florence and the Machine, um again you too i mean like anybody that's like that i mean you're just going damn like that's and his cinematography amazing like the watching it in 4k is a treat like definitely a treat that's the way that you should go if you get if you have the ability to watch it in 4k do so um because it's 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 a heady heady movie and it's a visually just stunning movie um and also yeah, the- it
1: was it was really one of the highlights of that festival i mean you know i went in you know, kind of feeling a bit like a like a tightrope walker mm-hmm. on that one, but uh, you know. Uh, just, you know, because there was so much possibility and then you have the idea of Lovecraft, you have a director who hasn't been involved in films in so long, you have Nick Cage who can kind of be a volatile presence and everything. And so this was either just going to be amazing or it was just going to be, you know, just spectacularly bad, (laughs) you know, it was going to be interesting to watch either way. Uh, But thankfully, it was, you know, amazingly good. No, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um, And another another special shout out to uh, the producer of this film, uh, Elijah Wood, whose um, production banner, Spectral Vision, produced not only this, but Mandy and a bunch of other films that are really kind of. Like, he's getting a name for himself. Like, I really honestly feel like post Lord of the Rings, he's really taken this, like, he's really taken the, like, the producer and creating of, like, good genre content, like, amazing genre content in some cases, like, really seriously. And I kind of love this second act for him um, as a producer. Uh, it, it's, it's something that I think that we should actually, we, we could talk about on a, on a separate co- podcast, just Elijah Wood, like as mm-hmm. like, you know, the second, the second half of his career, because I mean, Greasy Strangler, um, Cooties, uh, I mean, he was an exec, exec producer on A Girl Walks a Home Alone at Night. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, absolutely. I, uh, you know, Daniel Isn't Real, which is a film that you've talked about, um, and headlight um Mm -hmm. mandy uh so it's it's definitely like something that i find interesting that this 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 guy has kind of taken it on and has gotten us some of these really, like, two of at least the la- the most striking, like, horror films that I've seen in the last five years in Mandy and uh, uh, Color Out of Space. So, yeah, just a huge shout out to him and using his, using whatever cre- uh, credentials he has and the money that he has for good.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, Exactly exactly it's nice to see uh, some of these people who you know they make enough money mm-hmm. and so they do interesting things they take risks and gambles and stuff like that as opposed to the people who you know don't want to get involved in something if they're not making 20 30 million dollars a film uh, and stuff like that. It's nice to see. I mean, I think of like, you know, we've talked before about Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart and, you know, some of these people who have made enough money to live a nice life. And so now they're just going to do things that are interesting. Yep. And and so that's part of, you know, Elijah. I mean, you know, uh, you notice the, the trend there uh Pattinson and Stewart connected to the Twilight franchise, <laughs> Elijah connected to the Lord of the Rings franchise. So it's like some of these younger folks have gotten that franchise money and then said, "Okay, now, you know, that is enough to live a nice life on. Let's do something interesting."
0: Absolutely. And then
1: it shows
0: like for me, like like with Elijah, like and like Pattinson and and Kristen Stewart, like it's really telling because you can see their taste like like that's where it becomes about taste um and it's truly interesting to me that like Pattinson has very specific tastes as much as Elijah Wood like they they're kind of weird in the comments like where Pattinson is just like he's not using his power as a producer he's using his power as a as an actor where like but they're kind of in the same kind of wheelhouse with like, you know, promoting strong filmmakers, filmmakers that have a vision, like the Safdies, Cronenberg, um, Richard Stanley, uh, you know, uh, Panos Kazmatos, like these guys that are either from like the laurels of cinema from like, you know, like like from an earlier part of cinema for people or are on the forefront with like Panos and the Sa- uh, Safties or even like Kristen Stewart. Like, you know, we've kind of talked off air about underwater and that I think is going to mm-hmm. be when, when the home video release comes out of that, we're definitely talking about that one. Cool. I'm uh, doing
1: one of my video reviews for that home video release too. Uh,
0: yes. Okay. So when it comes out on home video, we'll definitely have to have a podcast about it because that is the kind of like, but, you see you you see what she's doing putting her name out there for that and it's like you watch that movie and nobody saw that freaking movie but it's still a great it's a great little B movie
1: yep um yep. Well, it's and, amazing that that and the invisible man are two of the better films of the year so far.
0: seriously yes I mean <laughs> let's let's be honest here I mean um it, it is kind of wild that this these hardcore genre films are Are those? But one happily made um, made money, and one did not, unfortunately. Um, But uh, but yeah, like it's kind of great to watch these actors from that particular, like the early aughts, kind of morph into these people that are taking a hold of not just their careers, but they're taking responsibility for like the second half of their careers. Because all of these these three actors are people that are on the second half of their career like there's like i always think of like three halves of a career you're like if you're a young actor you start off with your rise to superstardom your stardom and then post stardom and what do you do with that and you know i think wood is the most interesting case because he's kind of like the mark hamill of all of them where but instead of like like doing, like, forcing himself into a hole, he kind of made this other career as a as a producer.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. You know,
0: and then Pattinson is just, like, he's, I mean, we've talked about Pattinson enough, like, off off air, and I think a little bit on air, but, I mean, Pattinson is, like, the dude that, I mean, you and I, we've talked about, like, he's gonna be a, like, he he's gonna be the Christian Bale of this generation. He's gonna be that unmalleable, kind of uneasy with stardom, but he's knows that he has to do it in order to get to the stuff that he wants.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, it was funny, uh, my, uh, my only Elijah Wood story mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, I uh, was at Fantastic Fest where he's just basically kind of a fixture Yeah. And, uh, and I don't remember what we were watching. It was not one, a movie that he was involved in at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm, I'm sitting there in my seat and you know, it's packing out like a festival, like fantastic fest does. There's rarely an empty seat for a screening. And so some fairly small guy comes walking in, sits down right beside me and I look over and I'm like, Holy crap, that's Elijah Wood. (laughs) And so literally he's sitting next to me while we're watching this movie. And so just before the movie starts, I certainly wouldn't talk during the movie. I looked at him and I said, dude, I just loved you in Grand Piano.
0: <laughs> oh, that's such a and great he,
1: movie. And he did this double take kind of like, oh my god, I don't know that I've ever had anybody say something about that movie to me uh, <laughs> and everything. And I was like, that movie is just awesome. And he uh, thanked me and, you know, was very polite and kind and everything. Asked me where I was from, that kind of thing. And uh, and then the movie started and so I didn't go all, you know, weird on him or something <laughs> and, and pepper him with questions and stuff. But, uh, but he seems like a very uh you know nice guy but he definitely uh is uh you know kind of a a bit of a tastemaker uh in in genre films to me
0: absolutely and uh grand piano is a movie that we definitely should talk about because script by none other than one of our favorites damien damien chazelle um who i feel like like just a side note before we wrap up is it just me or does chazelle get just shit on by everybody because he's damien chazelle
1: yeah yeah i think so (laughs) i think so there was like some some you know la la land backlash or something that still somewhat seems to be stuck to him which is stupid
0: exactly i mean like i mean if you really think about his like it's not like he like any other filmmaker, if they had had the films that he had, like, nobody would be talking shit. But because yeah. Harvard Educated came out with, like, came out with a bank, Like, that's the thing that I always think of. Like, I think that it was just too much too quickly for him. And everybody is just like, because... Um, first man is going to be one of those movies that in 20 years, everybody's going to go, Oh yeah, we, we, well, like that should have won best picture. Why we, we, we sat on that film, like the Academy sat on that film.
1: Oh yeah. Look, look for the anniversaries and you're going to get a bunch of think pieces on how awesome, uh, that film is. And, you know, we were all sleeping on it.
0: Yeah. And, and just like the, like, like there's another one whose second career is so much so interesting. Gosling. Like Gosling, it's like it's that it's that thing of like if you do something really good and you do variations on it, people hate it like they end up hating it because the whole quiet like the quiet assertive like introspective like a superstar that Gosling is it's like right. everybody hates that like it's like like they're like why can't you do something different it's like but then if he does something different you're like oh why is he doing this different it's just like there's a no win um and i also well, you know he's
1: got chazelle's uh, got a television show coming up
0: yes he does yes he does with um with uh what's his name andre andre uh, holland holland from um from uh moonlight and it's all it's yep. a musical
1: and the nick yep and uh um what was the other film that he was in
0: oh now you're making me uh Soderbergh it. Soderbergh's um um High Flying Bird, High Flying Bird about the yeah. nba uh so yeah uh i'm really excited about the uh, about the chazelle stuff i'm almost hoping that it gets released earlier so that we can kind of all <laughs> uh, oh, what the
1: eddie yes right?
0: yeah, yeah the eddie the eddy eddie. yep which yep. like that supposedly
1: first- may 8th if nothing about that changes
0: yeah, which I could totally see things starting to change about that
1: stuff. Yeah, well, you know, um, Disney fired the first shot on that by moving yep. up, you know, Frozen 2, 2. to their streaming service uh, to try to get all the housebound kids <laughs> subscribing to uh, Disney+. Plus. And, so, and uh, yeah, so as we talk about it
0: today, it, it, was, it was released today, uh, yep. s- three months early. I yep. full well expect this to be a trend because of the social distancing. And um, I was actually going to talk about this a little bit. Um, If Scott is willing, um, I think that we're going to do a couple of one-off episodes that are going to be more loosey goosey, more like Howard Hawks hanging out stuff and just kind of talk about the stuff that we're watching and maybe give recommendations and just, yeah, no, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maybe have Shane come on, maybe have other people come on that are, uh, that we know and kind of just talk about films that maybe you guys can start watching. Like, give you guys a list of of stuff that's available for free on streaming services, and you can just kind of start and maybe even start talking. God, I mean, like, God forbid, maybe I'll bend my rule about no TV and actually talk about TV because there's (laughs) some, I mean, there's some pretty great stuff that's going on. Yeah, there is. is. I mean, our love for Ben Mendelsohn may have to just kind of like just be the first shot that breaks the bow and talk about the outsider because that just finished up. And, uh, so good. yeah. Um, I, the only thing is, is that I heard that there's going to be a second season and I'm like, really? Yeah. I'm like, are you going to take on the, are you going to take on different cases? But then does that kind of change the tone and tenor of how you promote it?
1: Well, you know, at the very end, and I won't say what it is because characters die and the stakes are high at the end, but all I will say very generically is one character looks at another character and says, I would love to work with you again sometime. Yep. And so my thought was, hmm, maybe we are in fact. Uh, at least leaving it open to some... I mean, they had no way of knowing how it would do. Yes. And so they're leaving it open for at least the possibility of revisiting the characters who survive uh, in the future. And so uh, it will be interesting uh, to see if they uh, actually follow that up.
0: I I really hope they do because it's like it ends... Like, I was surprised how strong it ended um because... We know with King adaptations, how they fold into themselves and they just, kind of <laughs> right. Uh, but with the talent involved, it does not surprise me that it, it yeah. that it, it that, that it was able to end as strongly as it was. Um, yeah. and yeah, we'll, we'll probably end up talking about that one in a one-off episode just because times are a t- changing right now. And yeah. we want to give you as much co- content as possible. And the outsider is definitely like, if it was a movie, we'd be talking about it opening day
1: yeah oh yeah exactly
0: because it just has so many things in it that are just are like in our wheelhouse and like not to mention not 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 even just like if you just take out ben mendelsohn even though you would never want to um Mm -hmm. bringing him into like like that just makes it like you know adam and and scott's like you know it's designed for them exactly Uh, so but with that guys we're going to let you guys go. We will be having more episodes, especially because there's, you know, this whole social distancing thing. So we're going to have, uh, you know, to take advantage of that for you guys to kind of give exactly. you some really good content. Pop
1: in the earbuds and hang out. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I think that a lot of our favorite podcasts are also doing something of the similar of the same because, you know, like – We're mostly I mean, like I like other than a couple of home, like, you know, theatrical releases, we definitely kind of tend more towards the towards the past, which is kind of amazing because now we're getting this chance to where people can deep dive yep absolutely so with that guys we will be back with an all-new episode fairly soon um whenever our schedules permit and as it seems the schedule is starting to clear up because there's not a lot to be done (laughs) uh so with that guys i'm adam you you know scott and we will talk to you guys soon Oh mm-hmm.